0: Level 2 sommelier Brian Clancy is back. He takes the buzzers on another trip around the globe, sharing his knowledge and passion about the wonderful and ever-fascinating world of red wine on this episode of $5 Buzz. (laughs)
1: Welcome, everyone. Please step inside, lock the door behind you, make sure that towel is properly positioned. Uh, My good friend, Pete Liska, Uh, he's got the citrus and he's also got a bag of the dank tonight. Pete, how are you tonight in Los Angeles?
0: I'm fine, George. How are you guys doing?
1: Good. I hope you're thirsty because tonight, Roger, and uh, we were sad that we missed you the first time. But uh, we have the second wine episode. This is going to be a red wine episode, Roger. Are you ready to uh, uh, participate this time?
2: Well, I'm actually very excited because I fucking hate white wine anyway. So <laughs> right. uh, now I'm just, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm all about it, brother.
1: Good. Um, we're welcoming back our good friend of the program, great friend of the program for his second tour of duty. He's going to buzz the tower one more time.
3: Brian Clancy in Hawaii aloha how are you sir aloha to all the buzzards uh super stoked <laughs> to be back on the uh, airwaves with you guys thanks so much for having me back uh, looking forward to uh, tasting some red red wine with you guys
1: fantastic um also in California Nate Garden who uh most of you will know from the artwork that he does for the show uh it's always uh great to see it. It's a great part of the program. Uh, you've heard his voice, especially on the first fish episode. Uh, Nate, how are you tonight?
4: I'm good. George. I'm good, man. Good to be here. I'm I'm thinking of me as like, I'm, I'm like Bob Ross without the PTSD and oil paints. I got an iPad and ADHD, George. That's, that's what I am.
1: (laughs) Hey, Nate. Um, we really appreciate your time. Uh, I just wanted to mention that today's a sad day for us. Uh, the great Charlie Watts passed away. Who's the drummer from the Rolling Stones. Uh, You're probably seeing a lot of tributes out there on social media and whatnot. And I just wanted to read something that Nate wrote today that I think really I'm seeing all these rock stars posting pictures and making comments, but I really like what Nate said. And Nate said, the man led a rich and full life was modest to a fault, loved the same woman for 60 years and had the respect and admiration of his peers and the love and adoration of millions of fans, whether they were boomers or Gen Z, everywhere in the hemisphere. The motherfucker wore one-off designer suits made to match the upholstery of his one-off Bentleys, by the way, which he never drove. He just liked to sit in them while he sipped brandy, listened to jazz, and admired his racehorses. We should all be so lucky. Very eloquent words, Nate, and uh, you know, just some final thoughts on uh, Charlie as he departs to the other side he was
4: the best man chin chin After, well said pro cuban bebop man he's the stone sound everyone thinks it's Keith's guitar it's charlie's jazz drums man and it's uh it's it, it's over for uh, all intents and purposes it was a good run in uh 60 years man yeah and yeah, that
2: was springsteen's quote all day you read in all the articles talking about he was really the he was the voice in other words of the stones in many ways more than the voice itself,
4: uh, effortless cool, man. Uh, just an effortless cool English gentleman. He was a man with nothing to prove, man. Uh, just a con- a content man with nothing to prove, and that was charming. It also proves
2: that if you do enough heroin and live past the age of sixty, you outlive all of your contemporaries, like <laughs> Keith Richards, Ziggy Pop, Mick Jagger, and uh, you know Bob Dylan. So you know, yeah, I would uh, recommend heroin. well you know uh final word for me on
1: uh charlie watts is i just remember uh the first time really seeing you know music videos in my house my dad was a rolling stones fanatic and when mtv first started at least when i first started watching start me up was on quite a bit and i remember like mick jagger jumping around in this like really ridiculous like purple pinstripe shirt and all these guys you know I was very young but I just remember Charlie Watts just looking very annoyed embarrassed and just like what the I would think to myself what the this guy's like what the fuck are these guys doing but he played and never broke beat and it was amazing and also in the Martin Scorsese film all these dignitaries and Bill and Hillary Clinton come to the show to be recorded uh, shine a light which was the Martin Scorsese movie about the Rolling Stones and yeah. keep uh, all, you know, everybody's out shaking hands and kissing babies. And some handler comes over to uh, Charlie Watts and he's like, we got, we got to go and say hello to these guys. And he's just like, haven't we just done that? He's just like, can't be bothered with all the bullshit. He just wants to play, but uh, i to be home on his farm, man. that's all he wanted to be <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, we're going to raise a glass tonight, uh, raise some for Charlie. Sorry. This, sorry for all the Rolling Stone uh, uh, talk. Yeah, let's keep have...
2: drinking, George. We we're also getting... have another guest to talk to.
1: You. I know. I'm going to, uh, I would. Roger, it's called a segue, and uh, <laughs> I know uh, you, you, you steered me right over there. We have a guest also here in Los Angeles uh, sitting with Pete and Roger. Heather, how are you tonight?
4: I'm good,
5: thank you.
1: So we're glad to have you. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, our listeners, this is the first time we're we're hearing from you, so would you mind just giving us a quick uh, background, uh, you know, where you grew up, how you landed in LA, and how did you become in the orbit of Pete and Roger?
5: Of course. Um, I grew up in a little suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, and I knew ever since I was little that I was leaving. I wanted to be in uh, the movie television industry ever since I was little so right after uh, high school went to college in Chicago and came straight out to LA and I've been working in television production ever since I'm a production supervisor so dealing with budgets and scheduling and just kind of putting the logistics to the creative um, to help get the tv shows and movies made I'm currently working on Euphoria and wow, um, show. Yeah, crazy show it's a good one um, and I met Roger and Pete through my husband, Roger, and I don't know, I was thinking about in like, a ten, I don't know, 10 years it's at been, least, it's, like it's, years. Been a, it's been quite a while, um, I've been fortunate enough to know um, Roger and thereby Pete, and yeah, and Roger knows I'm a big um, appreciator of wine, so I was very excited that he extended the invitation to me tonight, so thank you guys. We're glad to have
1: you. Yep, we're yeah. excited, so River. let's drink. Yeah, we're very grateful to have you, and you're in great hands tonight. We're going to, without further ado, I'm going to pass the uh, three-footer over to Brian Clancy, and he's going to take the mic and let us take us on a journey. Like I said, this is about the red wine, so without further ado, some folks call him Mr. Wine, so uh, we'll turn it over to him right now. Bob. It also
0: bears mentioning uh, Brian Clancy, our, our dear friend, is a level two sommelier, which is a quite impressive feat. He knows what he's talking about. Thank you. uh, Thank you. Thank you guys very much.
3: You know, super stoked. Like I said earlier to uh, to be guiding the tasting for this evening. So um, I was mentioning earlier as well that um, I kind of re-listened to the podcast from back in March, uh, not to be narcissistic, but just to kind of refresh myself with uh, what we went over and, um, you know, touching base on that old world versus new world kind of concept again. We're going to be doing red wines in the same kind of style this evening so just a refresher for you old world that's continental europe so you've got france italy spain portugal um pretty much all of those countries represented there new world basically everywhere else so tonight we're going to have a little oregon represented we're going to have a little california represented as well and then we're going to be finishing up with a really killer little dessert wine from portugal so um before we uh, kind of get rolling with the uh, with the reds, um, I did just want to touch base again on the whites that we tasted, uh, the Sauvignon Blancs that we did at the last episode, uh, the Chardonnays, and then that killer Riesling. Everybody really enjoyed those. I hope that uh, the folks in uh, Buzzard Land have gotten a chance to go out and try some of those, OK? Um, so kicking things off tonight, we're going to go with Pinot Noir, OK? Um, quite possibly the hardest varietal to master and to create. Uh, It's a very delicate grape and uh, really tough to produce this wine uh, around the world. We're going to be starting off with Burgundy and then comparing it to the Willamette Valley of Oregon. Uh, And those two uh, regions are really world-class Pinot Noir producers, Okay, Um, With uh, Burgundy, in the last episode, we touched on Chablis for the northern region of Burgundy for the Chardonnay. Tonight, we're going to be focusing on the Pommard region for uh, from the Côte de Bonne, which is right in the center of Burgundy for the Pinot Noir. Okay, George, I believe you're drinking some Nuit Saint George, so from a little bit up north in the Côte de Nuits. So basically, on a map, you've got Chablis, you've got Côte de Nuits, you've got Côte de Bonne a little south from there, Côte de Chalonnais. And then Mekong. so that's kind of how Burgundy rolls. It's very, very skinny area, very, very long area. So it has forty-four villages total. Uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir being the two grapes. Okay, so let's go ahead and pour the red Burgundy into our glasses now. If you haven't already, kind of get that breathing a bit. That's
0: so that's this is what we have over
3: here. Correct. So you're looking at the region of Pomard. Okay, and and. Good point, Pete. With this tasting, it's less about the individual bottles and more about the concept of the regions. OK, let's go ahead and set that out there as well. So we don't really need to dive into the individual producers more about the spirit of the area and the style of the wines that come from there. It'll make it a lot easier for everybody to be able to go out and get some wines and enjoy them from the regions. Yeah. Cool. Um, so you guys are pouring a little pomard. I have some pomard in the glass as well. And I want you to go ahead and swirl this around, get a little bit of an aroma for the wine. You're going to pick up some cranberry notes, a little bit of dried fruit with this, touch of mushrooms and forest floor kind of notes with this as well. Um, but the main thing to remember when we're talking about old world wines versus new world wines, you're always going to smell minerality and earth components with old world first, and then with New World, you're gonna get fruit components. That's always that kind of rule, yeah? Okay, so what do you guys think of this on the nose?
0: Definitely like a, a cherry and an earth situation going on. For sure, it's Not, got that little bit of, fruit, of rustiness
3: but, to it, that yeah, cherry mustiness. note for sure. Pinot Noir always kind of gives that light kind of body, very fresh kind of style with their wines. Pommard is just a badass region as well, right? So they tend to make a little bit more robust style of Pinot. And that's why I chose Willamette Valley to go against it because Oregon kind of shows that kind of style as well, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about the regions of Burgundy, you look at Pomard, you look at Nuit Saint-Georges, Von Romanee, Gevrey chambertin they're all village level wines, okay? So they're all have a sense of place. There's differentiation with all of them. And they're called village level because they're from a certain town inside of Burgundy, okay? It's all Pinot Noir, just separated by the areas where they come from. Then each of those areas, as they get higher up, are gonna have individual vineyard sites. And that's where you get the premier crew level and then the seven grand crew levels, right? The Latashes that uh, Terry was mentioning on our last kind of sit down. Those are the $1,700, 1800 dollars bottle wines, which are pretty, pretty nuts. So we're not gonna be having those today. But, when you um, say pretty, higher pretty, up,
0: do you mean when you say higher up, do you mean higher up north-south or mountainous-wise? More along the hillside, Pete. When you're talking about a Cote de Chalonet
3: or a Cote de Nui or Cote de Bone, it's a it's a hillside. So the bottom of the hill is kind of the base level. The center cut, the tenderloin of it is the best grapes. And then as it goes up in elevation, it kind of goes to a village level again. So it's all about the elevation, but you want to hit that center kind of target zone. And that's where the single vineyards are coming from. Yeah. So with uh, Cote de Bone or Cote de Nuit, you have really fantastic um, quality levels and you can get all sorts of different kinds of styles out of the wines from that region. This is fantastic, actually.
5: It's very nice. Yeah. With little... I don't know, am I getting a little tartness
3: on the back end there? Yeah. Yep, it's, it's gonna like go it's... ahead and almost suck the moisture right out of your mouth and make it pucker a little bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And this would probably be, I mean, you, is this light enough to do with like uh, a fish or do you wanna keep this with like meat mostly? Being
3: from Hawaii, I love yeah. to throw burgundy at ahi. So a seared piece oh, yeah. of tuna with a little sauteed mushroom, little red wine reduction. <laughs> you throw that you together, <laughs> little foie gras demi on there, game over. I love Pinot Noir with fish. I'm actually awesome. doing a tasting menu with Chef Jojo Vasquez. It's been on the Food Network a couple of times. We're doing some Pinot with a rainbow trout that's locally sourced out here as well, a sustainable fish. Um, you know, Just to touch on that real quick. Uh, fishing in Hawaii we want to find as much sustainable stuff out here as possible and so I'm definitely supporting that whenever we can when I get to put together tasting menus and stuff yeah absolutely that's awesome hey Brian
1: can I ask a quick question about you You and I had a brief conversation about I think France was experiencing some extreme weather some spring frosts and like excessive rain in the summer Uh, I think that is it fair to say that the output is uh reflected some of the uh problems that france has been having with um the, the climate and what does yeah. that mean yeah. for the consumer
3: so when you see uh i think i sent you that picture of Chassagne montrachet that vineyard site and it looked really cool because all the little fires were at the base of all of the different uh grape stocks basically mm-hmm. or the vines um there are these little sternos and individual fires so it looks gorgeous but it's really tragic why they were there they're literally sitting there to burn through the night to kind of warm the grapes so they don't frost and shatter. So when grapes set, and then there's a cold frost that comes through, it can decimate an entire vintage. Happened more this year with white wines than red. Um, so as far as that's concerned, you're gonna see a shortage of uh, white burgundy and uh Sancerre this year, which is gonna be a bummer cause that's already a, a tough region to get grapes from. Um, The red wines weren't as affected and Bordeaux was not as affected either. Um, To touch on that as well, as we get into California, we can talk about the fires and the absolute decimation going on with that, but we'll save that for the next section. Yeah. Sure. Um, So let's go ahead and get the the Oregon wine in your glass next so that we can kind of do a side-by-side or comparison with that. When it comes to Oregon Pinot Noir, the Willamette Valley is really the dominant um, area in Oregon that produces high-quality Pinot Noir. And they they often use the term Burgundian. I personally don't like that term, but it's very much kind of widely used in descripting or describing uh, Pinot Noir from the region because it kind of is a kissing cousin to the French style, right? So you see a lot of wineries up in Oregon calling themselves like Domain, Serene, uh, having kind of throwbacks to Oregon uh, or to Burgundy. And so um, I'm having the uh, Sean Minor North Point Pinot Noir from O'Lamette, uh tonight. So kind of a great comparison against the Pumar. So go ahead and pour that for yourself. I got some Elk Cove. Elk Cove. I don't know if you're familiar with that.
0: This one's called Broadly Vineyards. Have you heard of it? Yeah, yeah, definitely.
3: Broadly, Elk Cove, both great producers as well. Um, But again, the style of the wine that you're going to get here, more fruit forward. So it's got a little bit of the blueberry and blackberry kind of fruit component, still has depth and complexity to it as well. still has high acid to it also. So different than the almost austere style of the red burgundy, the Pinot Noir from Willamette is going to be a little bit more of that flashy kind of bright fruit component um pete you really liked the new world chardonnay last time because it was a little bit more of a cocktail wine right so much like this as well it's really going to jump out of the glass and can kind of stand on its own whereas the burgundy really wanted that piece of duck or ahi or something to go along with it right you guys think of this one yeah (laughs) i think a lot many years ago uh when
1: i was in hawaii with you this is probably like probably 2007 I was asking about you know washington state and oregon uh wine producers because at least at that time i you know being a novice wine drinker you know i i guess i still am but back then of course you said that if you were to fold the map in half i think that oregon would touch the same uh latitude as france yeah. is
3: that correct it's it's a great way to put it george when you're looking at wine regions around the globe Doing that as an exercise is a great way to teach people where certain grapes are gonna grow. So if you fold the map over from France onto uh, the United States, it's gonna land in the Pacific Northwest, these growing regions. So Bordeaux varietals up in Washington, Burgundy varietals in uh, Oregon. Then if you fold it down, guess where you land? In Chile. Chile so yeah. you find uh, really interesting varietals down in Chile. Folded over again. You've got Australia Margaret River for Chardonnay. So it really is all about those latitudes, no matter where you're at. Now they are shifting a little bit yeah. with global warming. So they are finding more Pinot Noir being grown in Patagonia, uh, down in Chile, like the southern tip of the world, basically. Right? Um, amazing wines. We carry Chakra Barta from there. We'll do a Chilean episode sometime. Chakra Barta and uh, and some really great stuff from down in that neck of the woods too. And you're finding more on the uh, Pacific Northwest, going up into Canada in British Columbia, the Okanagan region is absolutely on fire right now for uh, Cabernet in a good way, not like California is on fire. Um, Really awesome stuff. So as we kind of see how climate change is going to change the globe, it's going to change the wine industry as well. So, you know. (laughs) What, What part of Oregon did you say? So th- this is a good point. That's what I was just going to touch on, Roger. When it comes to Oregon, you're seeing new AVA's, which are American viticultural areas being kind of popping up right now, right? Willamette Valley is um, a pretty huge region. So you have these different pockets being kind of elevated into their own sectors. So when it says Willamette, you've got this huge kind of area, single vineyards from this uh, region as well is pretty amazing. So it's right on the border of uh oregon and washington uh columbia river kind of area as well columbia river uh valley is the only ava that actually is in two states it's washington and oregon more cabernet from there have you been up there i haven't gotten a chance to go to the pacific northwest yet except uh, on my trip to seattle um but not for wine reasons uh so i've spent more time in california i can't wait to get there we actually had a trip scheduled for about 18 months ago uh, and that got pushed, and now we're just kind of waiting for post-COVID to be able to go and check it out. Um, I'm definitely going to be going to South America ASAP as well. I've got a trip lined up for Argentina and Chile. Excellent, um, man. I mean,
0: yeah. would you say Oregon is um, is newer in the Pinot Noir development than California, or has it been around and people didn't know about it as much? Been around and people didn't know about it as much, but quality-wise,
3: really since... Um, The vintage that really jumps out to me is the 1998 vintage. There was a wine made by Ken Wright from the Shea Vineyard that absolutely blew my mind. And that was the vintage that really kind of jumped out and put a little bookmark on Oregon and people started to kind of gravitate towards it. Um, Since that vintage, we've seen a steady increase in quality level, scores, uh, and price, unfortunately, as well. Um, But these guys are making world-class wines in that region for sure um no, nothing wrong with santa barbara Pinot noir as well i just personally think that oregon's a little bit more uh my style let's say but we don't want to
0: dismiss any areas it's, right it's, as you said it speaks to the to the geography is more conducive to it as well mm-hmm. makes do you a think, lot more sense
2: right? and you near
3: closer to eugene actually than, than portland right and
0: it's yeah, the uh, five right
2: through the
3: cascade mountains yeah. eugene is where you would head out from to go to the wine region yeah. in oregon yeah and it's willamette like willamette damn it Damn it! yeah, yeah. i got
4: it willamette,
2: <laughs> willamette. Yeah. Damn it. Yep. Uh, i've been through that
0: region to, many times heather what between the two because i controversially want to say i like this oregon one better I, what do you think
5: i do really like the oregon one a lot it's funny because my friend and i just two weekends ago we were in Sonoma in the Russian River Valley. So all we basically had were Pinots and I was a little worried I'd be Pinot out, but this is this is lovely. I like this yeah. one. The other one I felt like was a little, it was very um, smooth and I like, I love a nice, smooth, elegant wine. It was just a little too tart on the back end for me, but um, like, I think you were right. It needs, it, it would go well with food. This one is just easy drinking without food and it's, it's lovely. I've really started to enjoy the Willamette wines. We went to Portland and did one tasting there, and I want to go back in and really explore the valley.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm selling Domaine Serene out here, like it's going out of style, but from down in the neck of woods, you were Russian River. I have Dumal in my book, and just, I mean, those are quintessential fantastic wines, too. So, I mean, again, to each their own on, on the styles and stuff, but you're mm-hmm. right in saying that the um, old world wines are always going to kind of um, benefit from having some food with them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we can roll into um, Bordeaux versus Napa next. <laughs> uh, hey, guys, do you think it's a good
1: place to take a break here or do you want to keep rolling? Well, you can
2: take we, got, a break. Oh, we got five. Well, yeah, we got three wines on the back end, two wines in the front, and the intro. So, fuck yeah. Hey, we have a quick favor to ask. We want to get the word out. And the way to help is for you to subscribe to us on either Apple or Spotify. And it would be really huge if you give us a rating and a review.
0: Much love. All right, guys. We're back on $5 Buzz uh, with Brian Clancy, our Level 2 sommelier out of Hawaii. Um before we get continue uh, on our little journey here, I want to give a little shout out to a place called k and Uh Wines, a guy named Jacques down there in the one in Hollywood, if you're in Los Angeles, he, um, uh, you know, Clancy sent me the, um, the guidelines for the slow tasting and uh, it, it, the guy was very informative and uh, um, I'm very excited to try this next one. It's a Margot Bordeaux. Do I have that right, Ryan?
3: Yeah, you do. So, um, just a quick note on uh, KL. Um, I've been following what KL Wine Merchants has done since I was uh, back at Mr. Wine. It's been a good well, 18 years at this point, probably following what they do. KL Wine Merchants, they're um, world class. Um, they have specific sommeliers and people that work at their store for each region of the world. And I actually still go on their website on a weekly basis when we get a new wine released in Hawaii, just to check out what those guys are saying, because they don't just kind of push out what the big rags like Wine Spectator and and Wine Advocate are saying. They come up with their own stuff as well. And, And these guys are passionate about what they do. Pete, you were saying that you know the guy took you through Margot everything from seven dollars a bottle to seven hundred dollars a bottle. Oh, right? yeah. there's yeah, a wine for all times with these guys, so they really are great professionals. And I encourage anybody to go there and, and check out what they do. Um, with Bordeaux, I want to say as well, um, a lot of places like that buy things called futures. Okay, so they'll commit to a vintage of a Bordeaux and say, we'll take a pallet. Pallet is usually 56 cases of wine. And they won't get the delivery for like three years, but they've been doing that consecutively every vintage. So it's one of those days where that pallet shows up and these guys are like kids in a candy store. And they're like, oh, cool, the 18 showed up. Let's go ahead and get people tasting them. Or the 2010 vintage, like you're drinking, Pete. uh, is pretty awesome, okay? Um, So that's good on on K&L. We'll we'll move into um, the tasting now. Um, talking about Bordeaux in general, uh, I mean, we could spend five hours just kind of going over the regions. I'm not going to bore you to death with that stuff. Let's just hit the, the hallmarks, right? Bordeaux is basically divided into three areas. You have the left bank, you have the right bank, and you have the entre de mer kind of in between region on the base, right? So it's all geographical. The Giron River comes uh, down north to south and splits into two kind of subsidiaries, the Dordogne and the Garonne. So on the left bank, you have these regions, the Médoc, Pouliac, Saint-Julien, and Margaux, okay? Those are Cabernet-dominated regions. Then on the right bank, you have Saint-Emilion and Pomerang. Uh, Those are Merlot-dominated regions. When you're thinking about Bordeaux in general, you're gonna be led by three grapes. Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, and Merlot. The two other grapes are gonna be Malbec and Petit Verdot. So those five grapes pretty much go into every bottle of Bordeaux just in different percentages, okay? So the left bank, which we're focusing on today with Margaux, Cabernet dominated, okay? So you're gonna find them usually in the 70-ish percent range But has Merlot, Cab Franc, a little bit of Malbec, a little bit of Petit Verdot kicking around in there as well. Okay. So that's the region that are the reason that I wanted to show Margot versus Napa. That's because Napa is known for Cabernet, right? So those two kind of grapes dancing around each other. So, good rule of thumb with Bordeaux when you're getting it, um, it should be something that is a little bit regional specific, like Margot or Pouliac or Saint Estef. Once you get to that level, you're looking at a high quality wine. Okay. Um, and they can range. Some of them are going to be in that 25 ish range. Some of them are going to get up into the 50s and then upwards from there. Right. Um, and they're always going to have that kind of style of grittiness and graveliness on the nose. If you remember back to second grade, when you were sharpening a pencil, it's gonna have that graphite kind of smell that's gonna jump out. That's how you can always tell that you're drinking Bordeaux. Uh, it's a hallmark whenever I do a blind tasting. If I smell pencil shavings, I know exactly where I'm at. So go ahead and uh, give this right. one a swirl, see what you think, <laughs> give it a- Christ. Give it a that a little like blue cheese. <laughs> it's it's fucking
5: A, this, goddamn. <laughs> very
2: bold, but, I like, mean, very
3: quick, gorgeous. quick side note here. The, the guys in LA over here, Pete went out and got a 2010 vintage. So you got 11 years of bottle age on that bad boy. And 2010 was one of the greatest vintages in the past 50 years in Bordeaux as well. So you really They're picked nice. the winner there.
2: This this Makeup motherfucker amazing. just I mean just smelling it already oh, just, man. like an explosion in your fucking
0: nose. Like yes. the
5: glass is this far away, like it's not even up to your nose, and you can smell how strong it is. It's yeah.
0: just absolutely. Oh my god! What I yeah. notice
2: when we're is, finishing this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: Okay. <laughs> what, oh, no, but what I noticed is um is that this as you do smell it, as you twirl it, and as you smell it, and, and it goes in. You're actually tasting it in a weird way. You feel like back in here. I don't know what that's called, but you're you're feeling like the that sincere, or I don't know what what that is. Yeah, it's
3: the olfactory kind of zone. It really kind of makes you salivate. It wants that little piece of steak or something to go along with it oh. too. It's a perfectly <laughs> yeah. well balanced yeah. wine. Fucking steak um. right now. Yeah. George,
2: what do yeah, you think of, of yours? No, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking throwing, that... I'm uh, a goddamn ribeye or a goddamn,
4: yeah, know.
1: I'm thinking about like, um, you know... Le yeah. yeah, Spark Steakhouse or like um, somewhere in New York, like uh, the old homestead where, you know, nah, you're man. just... You're you, just you know. There's of, only
2: one steakhouse in New York, George.
3: <laughs> Smith and
1: Walensky? I don't know which one. Peter Lugers? This. Lugers? Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: Lugers is Thank the one. you, George.
1: <laughs> yeah. i'm just thinking about the waiter just coming in and saying uh sir what uh what would you like with your steak is that uh burmese or Chicago
2: was a place called gene and georgetti's yeah yeah. That place- yeah
3: you've been there right
5: i haven't been to gene and georgetti G-
3: gibson's gibson's is the joint for me in chicago that one's good too martini's the size road. of your head Yep. but but the um, the filet mignon and Gene
2: Giorgetti is about that tall with a slice of butter like that that just goes down at 75 bucks of course uh-huh. and you know the waiters all look like the straight out of Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah
3: so Dude, this, the main takeaway from um from the bordeaux conversation i wanted to kind of leave with don't be afraid of it people are scared of bordeaux sometimes they think that they have to drop this huge amount of money you don't 20 bucks in a bottle of Bordeaux, you're going to be stoked. You know, the wines are ethereal. They have a sense of place and terroir behind them. They're blended by master vintners that have been doing it for hundreds and hundreds of years. Their families have owned these places forever, right? And the cool thing with having those different grapes, sometimes the Petit Verdot came in really good. Let's add two more percent of that. Sometimes the Cab Franc was dominating that year. Cool, let's add five more percent of that. Let's take away the Merlot because the the year really didn't show Merlot all that great. That's the cool thing about painting with that palette of Bordeaux. Mm -hmm. Every single vintage is gonna tell the story of that vintage. And you're gonna get great ones that are world-class. You're gonna have some off ones too, but they're always gonna have a sense of what that experience was, the agriculture for that year in the region really really important to take that away from bordeaux um and just fall in love with the different regions you don't have to fall in love with a producer it's more about where the wine's from so obviously you guys are margot fans from tonight it, so that, no not just that out.
2: i mean i'm fucking you know bordeaux chocolate throw that in right now and drink this wine yeah. i'd be in fucking heaven right now is that what you so, do
0: you, you, eat, you have this with some chocolate oh yeah chocolate's great with hell wine, yeah that Bordeaux
2: chocolate comes from the same region,
0: man. Yep. This, I mean, this is like, this, I mean, I said ch- cherry earlier, but this is like real ch- <laughs> for some reason. I don't know why cherry is a thing, but this is like <laughs> yeah, a real yeah.
4: cherry, you
2: know? Yeah. But it's the also got a little bit of earth. But it's also like. Wow. It's got earth in it too, man. Yeah. yeah, oh, the, yeah. the
3: earthiness, the, the again, that forest floor kind of note, the richness. Um, they're really ethereal wines, absolutely yeah. gorgeous. It's funny because the first
2: wine we tried, you know, and I'm no expert, by God means, if we wanted to talk about beer all day, I'm an expert. But if we're talking about wines, I am absolutely the last person to be an expert <laughs> on wine. I'll just drink anything you put in front of me. But I'll say that from the first wine to this wine has been an increase in an explosion of my senses on yeah. all fronts, where this one is sort of like the, you know, piece de la Résistance*.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I love it. Well, I'm, I'm stoked. We got two more to go for you, Raj, and I think you're going to you be. Also, you, you also just,
0: uh, well, a last, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just going, I'm jabbering okay. on, but um, you also know, like if you to wash this down, you you this would wash your mouth clean of anything. You were if you were having mm. a sauce, a pasta, whatever, you you took a yeah. bite, you took a sip of this you're you, it's like it's like an eraser
3: <laughs> really good point too pete because when you're talking about bordeaux it's a proper amount of alcohol in bordeaux too they range yeah. in that 12 and a half to 13 and a half percent alcohol um for the most part 14 sure. when it goes to napa you're going to notice 15 16 oh. sometimes 17 percent, and those things are too hedonistic it it, it gets out of whack they, they become unbalanced at times i don't understand what you're saying <laughs> i don't know what you mean when, when, when it comes to bordeaux though that controlled kind of alcohol you can just drink two bottles roger it's okay you don't have to get all in one glass <laughs> okay. um it, it really does make a lot of sense because they're mm-hmm. balanced right that's what bordeaux is all about finding that harmony vintage to vintage yeah yeah. so that all being said I, I don't mean to rush or anything but let's go ahead and get the napa in the glass yep, next and, all right uh, then we'll you check her out dump that out. pour it in here I know. I don't <laughs>
2: know i'm trying to
5: preserve my palate this one is so big and so bold but i'm not mad at it at all
3: it's very oh, enjoyable it's really mr garden yeah. anything to uh to add in so far sir
4: i'm working on your uh mr weiner uh Roger had a great quip there. The explosion in your nose—that's a good one, Roger. That's uh, yeah.
2: <laughs>
4: that, that was a source of inspiration. I got that down. I, I, I like it. <laughs> I'm coming through the uh, archives. Be afraid. afraid. <laughs> you got, you got, like, I know
2: you want to know what that looks like.
4: Mm-hmm. And uh, um, just
1: so you know, um, Clancy, I've got Stag's Leap—not Stag's Leap. Stag's Leap to 2017, and uh, the Stag's Leap region is uh, one of the uh, higher-profile. Uh, sections of Napa isn't it
3: it is it is when you're talking about Napa Valley you have um, basically a couple of different regions inside of Napa much like we were talking about with Burgundy and Pomard Nuit St. George those regions Mm -hmm. inside of Napa you have places like Stags Leap which is a region it's not a winery although there are two wineries named Stags Leap as well it's very confusing Um, then you have like Howell Mountain Mm -hmm. you have uh, Diamond Mountain you have uh, all of these different uh, little areas and pockets throughout uh, Napa, which is a very small region mm-hmm. for the most part. But it has all these different microclimates, right? Um, Stag's Leap is personally my favorite. I, I love okay. that, um, that hillside. It's where um, Chimney Rock is from. Yeah. Uh, the Andrus uh, Vineyards from Pine Ridge are up there as well. Uh Claude Duval um, has the Hirendell yeah. Vineyard site up there. Really amazing juice comes out of that uh, neck. Of and what's the
2: winery? What's the winery that I went to? It was a location scattered to make a horror film in Napa. Because if you didn't know one thing about Napa, there is an urban legend about a character called a rebob, which is a uh, mechanical flying monkey. Oh a, a gorilla with wing, it, it has wings, kind of like the the ones in Wizard of Oz. In fact, the, the high school changed their name from the Napa Valley Indians, wonder why they changed their name, to Napa Valley Rebobs, which it. is a blue gorilla with wings. Um, there was a, a, a winery where we, we checked out and we were going to shoot in there, and it was inside a cave, side of a mountain. Big doors open up. I, I can't remember is the- Jarvis? Jarvis. That's what it is, where it's like had all these
3: Mm -hmm. weird fucking rooms everywhere. Yeah. So Jarvis is is amazing. They actually have that vaulted um, kind of operatic room with a piano up on a balcony. And they did a masquerade ball every single year at Jarvis. It's one of the most um, eyes wide shutty
4: wineries
3: out there we wanted it so it was side note i'm buddies with the winemaker and the owners of that winery we spent some time up there and uh ted henry was the winemaker for years there he's since moved on and gone into a different uh winery but jarvis is trippy man and they have their own lake on property yeah. So they're 100% sustainable on their irrigation, and they don't they they dry farm for the most part. But when they need a little bit of water, they have it on property. They're 100% solar for all of their energy on property, and because of the fact that they're in a cave like that, yeah. all of the temperature is controlled by yeah. nature. It's such a yeah. cool place. If anybody goes to Napa, I highly, highly, highly recommend checking out Jarvis. They are awesome people. Well, yeah. It's, it's actually me. Her her yeah.
2: husband and I got to actually because he was going to DP it. We we walked through and we got the we didn't get a tour. We got like a private walkthrough. Yeah. And uh, I, I tell you, it was uh, it was cool. It was the place was creepy as fuck. Yeah. i was Eisenhower. very so phantom of it, an app. Rob kind of yeah. right yeah. on the head. And yeah. they showed us <laughs> one of those masks where
0: mm, the yeah. balls
2: go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, one I'll, was, I'll, like,
1: I'll tell you what. Um, if you ever find yourself out the next time you find yourself in Napa, definitely don't go there without talking to Brian because Brian, when I went out there for um, my parents' uh, anniversary, I think it was their 40th anniversary. I said, we're going out to Napa because that's where their honeymoon was in San Francisco, 1974. And I called you and you sent me up to uh, Howell Mountain, yeah. um, which you just mentioned. So, there's vineyards and places that you, the the person, you know, the average person wouldn't know without seeking out your knowledge. So
4: yeah, for yeah. all the yeah, listeners,
1: the
3: continuum and checking out Pritchard Hill with Tim and Davi there, there are mm-hmm. special times uh, out there. So yes, please hit me up for any kind of recommendations. I'd love to what's the best
1: know. way to get you, Brian on Twitter, right? Yeah. Is I that think the Peter only Trump place that you reside? Uh, yeah. yeah.
3: What, what do they call that? Uh, DM me. Is that, yeah. is that what the kids are doing these days? Direct yeah. message. That would be a direct message. That yeah. Would be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, let's move into Napa next, guys. Um, I've got Chateau <laughs> um, which is a near and dear winery to my heart. It is from the Calistoga region in Napa Valley. Um, drinks very much like Bordeaux because it's a little cooler region, a little lower in alcohol. Um, but... When it comes to Napa in general, what you're always looking for is that beautiful Cabernet, Mm. usually coming from elevation. um, So from St. Helena up, you're looking for um, a little bit of elevation. The valley floor stuff tends to be a little bit higher in alcohol. When you get up on the mountainsides in Napa, it really is just absolutely fantastic and gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And Cabernet is such a beautiful grape in this region it just, it, it, it's the perfect spot for it. Um, the sunshine that the area gets, uh, the, the length of the growing season, and it's, it's just the perfect spot. Um, so when you're comparing what we just had in Bordeaux with a Cabernet dominant Margot region, and then looking at Napa, they're gonna be two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways. Um, the Napa wine is going to be more fruit forward again when you smell the wine it's mm-hmm. going to smell like fruit it's going to smell like vanilla because that's that new American oak on there or the French oak on there it's going to have a little bit of that kind of concentration to it um, and it's just going to kind of float all the way to the back of the palate very very um, kind of smooth all the way through or it should be at least yeah
2: no this one is
5: definitely it's a little bit less bold i mean it's still bold but it's less bold than the um
0: margot yeah
5: margot thank you um but it's like also a little bit um sweeter and i don't know if it's just because it's a younger grape whereas the other one was much older you know but it's still very nice and um smooth but still like bold in its own way but not like that one was like i I don't want to say in your face because it makes it feel like it was bad but like it was a good
0: your, does it, that make sense. It absolutely makes yeah. sense. What I think it is is like there's like a metal quality rather than a, than a punk quality. <laughs> <laughs> new metal.
2: Well,
0: he- Heather, you made you made a good
3: point. Um, you you use the word sweeter. What mm-hmm. you're actually kind of describing is it's more fruity. It's mm-hmm. more fruit forward, and that's that new world aspect versus the Bordeaux, which was really more dominated by. That rich kind of aspect, and again, you guys are drinking 2010, so I mean, you're, you're not going to hit it with with most napa wines, <laughs> but um, it, but that's that kind of concept, right? And that's it's good that you're picking that up. Um, think about the more fruit forward kind of component with it versus mm-hmm. that earthiness and the texture that the Bordeaux yeah. gave you, right? Yeah, that's a good definitely. Way
5: to the play. other one was definitely more Wait, earthy. We moved yeah. on
3: from the 2010. Yeah,
2: yeah, we're on
0: the next one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Verses, yeah. oh
5: versus. Versus, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: But, well, I'm getting thing, fuzzy already. I like that. <laughs> one, one, thing, one, one thing, Clancy, it seems to me though that is um, fair to say maybe is that Cabernet is the grape itself is one of those staples or a sturdy grape, if, mm-hmm. you know, or something that you can actually experiment with in multiple places. Right. I yeah, mean, it's a great it's way really to put put wine it. It's really a lines grape.
3: Cabernet yeah. Sauvignon is actually a DNA clone of Cabernet Franc and Sauvignon Blanc. So it's not a noble varietal. Um, Noble grapes are um, are the root of what um, like Dionysus wines were made from. Cabernet Sauvignon is taking that Cab Franc and Sauvignon Blanc, a white grape and fusing them together, right? So it's very, very sturdy. It has a very thick skin so that it can handle a lot of sun exposure Um, But it also has a very fleshy kind of style to it as well. And the leaf structure shields itself quite well. So it grows in a lot of different regions. Um, We're looking at Bordeaux and Napa when you could definitely look at it from Chile and Colcagua. You can look at it in Western Australia in the Margaret River. You can look at it in South Africa. Unfreaking believable wines coming from South Africa these days. Highly, highly, highly recommend going and checking out South African Cabernet Sauvignon because you're going to get a killer wine at a great price point. So you're right. It's very sturdy wherever it does grow. Yeah.
0: Is the, does Cabernet Sauvignon get a bad rep? No,
3: I think Cabernet Sauvignon is like the uh, the king uh, when it yeah. comes to, uh, to wines. People are very, very comfortable with it. Um, there's a lot of cheap Cabernet though. You got to watch out whenever it comes to a bottle of wine. If it just says California on it, Good chance that that wine is mostly coming from Modesto, which is, like, not a great growing region. So That's where Sons to, of Anarchy comes from. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you want to elevate, <laughs> elevate to at least saying Sonoma or Paso Robles or Napa or even North Coast. Those are the regions you need to get to. Yeah, it's going to cost you five, ten extra bucks, but it's well worth the money. Stay away from anything that's just California appellated. It's usually a, a lower class of wine. So maybe that's what you're talking about, Pete.
0: Interesting, interesting. Yeah, because I mean, is Cabernet Sauvignon prevalent in Italian wine? Uh, it's not a huge grape in in Italy, but it is a,
3: an important one. When you look at the region of Bulgari, where Super Tuscan's come from, Cabernet Sauvignon kind of dances with Sangiovese there. Um, there's also producers that make 100% Bordeaux varietals in Bulgaria, um, like the Alatria from Brancaia, Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, unbelievable wines. But when I think of Italian wines, Cabernet isn't the first varietal that comes to mind. Sangiovese and Nebbiolo kind of lead the way for me, Um, but not to poo-poo it. Their Cabernets are great, usually blended, very similar to what Bordeaux does, right? Interesting. Interesting. And if you want to go to Lebanese wines, you know, we can talk about Chateau Muzar. They make some great Cabernet there as well.
0: In Lebanon, really? Oh, yeah. I sold some today. No kidding. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Really killer stuff. As this sits in my glass, it gets better yeah this uh uh, we've got this Judd's hill
3: yep so with Um, napa wines you want to get air on them you want some of that alcohol to come off in the air a little bit let them kind of breathe i always suggest when you're drinking wines of bordeaux or napa give them two hours of being pots you know just let them sit on your counter it's not going to hurt them at all it's going to do wonders for your appreciation of the wines wow Mm -hmm. excellent All right, so I think that um, if we can take a straw poll here with the Pinot Noirs, we kind of liked the um, Willamette Valley a little bit more than the burgundy today, which you know mm-hmm. hurts my soul, but that's okay. <laughs> and with the uh with the Cabernet's, I think that the Bordeaux kind of won out a little bit tonight. How do we yeah. feel about
0: that's that, true. guys? Yeah, I want to right. I wanna, yeah. I, all I want to do is drink this stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> Can somebody just like manufacture that forever for me? Just put it into a recycling bin, just kind of put yeah. it, you know. Yeah. Well, I love
0: something you said earlier, too, that um you know i don't know if it made it on but uh when these guys get the pallets and they've bought the futures on these pallets of bordeaux and that they're three years out and they then they show up and they're like kids in a candy store yeah. opening up and discovering what the product was that they invested in so long ago to me totally. that's a fascinating aspect of this business mm-hmm. that i really it's one think. of
3: those things pete like as a as a, a person that worked in retail before as well um, I would buy just pre-sells, which means that I committed to something in January and it wouldn't show up until November when the wine gets released. And that's mm-hmm. how I felt as well. Just unbagging the burgundies of that year and being so stoked. They would barely make it onto the shelf before I had sold three bottles to the first person that came in. They might've been looking for freaking spritzers. It doesn't matter. You're walking out with this Pinot today. You know, that kind of feeling. It's really exciting. Yeah. My equivalent to that is when I... Was working in a movie
2: theater as a teenager, and we got to watch the movies before everybody else did. And it was Full Metal Fucking Jacket. And goddamn, I saw Stanley Kubrick movie before anybody else <laughs> did. You're damn right. Yeah. Speaking of Kubrick, again, twice uh, now in this. To say Kubrick? <laughs> I am so, working on it. Wait, 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 I beat you, George. I got two movie references. You ain't got one sports <laughs> reference yet.
4: Nothing. <laughs> All right, Definitely. so wrapping it up uh, here. I want, I want to understand that I was working on the Kubrick uh, art piece before Roger said that, just for the record. <laughs> I love it, I love it.
3: So wrapping up here, guys, I, I wanted to touch on a, um, a wine that also is um, vastly overlooked, and people are kind of scared of it sometimes, or it you only gets it thought about with dessert. Um, I wanted to touch on the Portuguese wines of port. For the most part so if everybody can uh spare a little with, room in your glass. glasses
0: is that okay just to use oh yeah, yeah yeah
3: when this goes in your glass pete you're going to realize how much it's going to dominate everything that we just taste okay oh, uh, <laughs> let me tell you
0: I, my, um, my wife and i went to portugal and uh we brought back various bottles of port and we fell in love with yeah. port i'll be honest yeah. with you we bought this one today i bought this one today this uh 20 year old uh, is it 20 that 20 year old tawny Yep. Is
3: that so you have interested? Optima from Wares. Wares is a great producer, 20-year Tawny. That is an average age of 20 years, so it's a Solaris system. Some of it might be 15 years, some of it might be 18 years, a good amount's going to be 20. A good amount of that's probably 25 to 30 years because wow. with Portugal, they're always going to kind of give you extra, okay? So when it comes to Taylor Fladgate or Dow's or any of these producers, 20 years will be the absolute low end of the average. So amazing stuff. The important thing to remember when we're talking about port, there's three different styles, okay? You have Ruby port, which is your base level. It's a red wine looking uh, glass of wine, okay? Um, That's your chocolate pairing port. Mm -hmm. The tawny that you guys have here, it's going to look like caramel in the glass, and it's been heat struck and oxidized. This is the type of wine that you could literally leave in the back of your car in Lahaina for four months at 90 degrees, and it ain't going to change it. The reason that they made it this way was so that the wine could make its journey from old world to new world on the boat back in the day and survive and be drinkable. Because it was a hell of a lot better to drink this than it was to drink the water back then. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, you know you could survive. It's just like salted bacon in the old West. Yeah. The Clancy. Yeah. Um,
1: Taylor Fladgate, I was surprised to learn it was a Portuguese one. It doesn't sound like a Portuguese name.
3: What's yeah, name? yeah. So th- that's a, a good point, George. When these places were made, Dow's, Wares, they're all English names. That's what I was going to say. English that like a guy for the America. people that really loved these wines and went into Portugal and kind of had the Portuguese people of the region create these bottlings for them in a lot of ways. So very colonialism kind of an aspect with Portugal and Portuguese production. I did want to mention with Taylor Flaggate, which is a, a brand that I represent, that's what I'm having tonight as well. Um, these wines are 100% hand-picked. There's not one piece of machinery used on their um, on their property at all they're also 100 foot trodden so old school lucy you know lucy, i love lucy shows, stepping on the grapes and literally making the wines this way there's videos of these guys doing this it's it's amazing if you, wow. you just go on youtube i'll send a link so it can get linked to the show um, and you can check it out it's amazing what these people do so Lancy, um, you're telling me I'm drinking feet right now. Yeah, come on, you know, <laughs> the alcohol is going to kill anything like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, actually, <laughs> but Nancy, but Nancy, uh, Jacques over at KL told me this Otimo was was, was uh, one of his favorite parts. Is that oh, no, no, I, I'm not dogging it at all. It's fantastic when you get to a
3: 20 year level. I'm just familiar with Taylor Fladgate, which is why I'm kind of regaling the tail. I, I, yeah, where's Dow, tons of Fonseca. Uh, Croft, all of those producers are are doing the exact same thing. I'm sure that this house does it this way as well, because when you look at these vineyard sites of Portugal, they are absolutely up a hillside that you have to belay into, oh and kind goodness. of like tie yourself into the hillside in order to pick the grapes. No these shit, wow. are absolutely amazing with their production levels, and during COVID they still were able to produce their wines in this way, which was wow. just amazing, you know? Um, so getting back to the flavor profile of a Tawny, um, like we have in our glasses today, you, you're yeah. going to notice a caramel, burnt oh, yeah. sugar kind of note with it I've had sure. this before. but it also has a marzipan, kind of almondy, yes. nutty yes. background. So it, yes. it has a secondary mm. kind of flavor profile, Which, like I was saying, the Ruby Ports are for chocolate. The Tawny Ports are for caramel desserts, for fruit-based tarts and things like that. It loves marshmallow if you want to go the s'mores route. Um, Really? Really just beautiful stuff.
4: Yeah.
2: I, I want to eat vanilla ice cream right now.
0: Yeah. Vanilla ice cream with some salted caramel. Yeah. <laughs> I'd
2: only
5: have the ruby port. I want to pour it on ice cream it. right now. This is excellent. what did you and say? I'd only had the ruby ports before with the chocolate, like he said at the wine tastings I've gone to. This is my first Tawny port, but it's it's amazing. Like I mean, Tony,
3: Tony's awesome. Yeah. Is yeah, it wrong it's,
1: to say that it, it kind of rem- the smell kind of r- reminds me a little bit of drinking bourbon.
3: Yeah, it definitely has that kind of woodiness to it, George, because you get a lot of that kind of um, oak exposure in tawnies. Mm -hmm. And they're also heat stressed. Okay. So they're oxidized and they're beaten up. So the cool thing with a tawny is you're not going to sit back and drink an entire 750 ml of a tawny. Once you open one of these, they're good for six to eight months. So just leave it in the door of your refrigerator. Have a little two-ounce nip every once in a while. You're going to be a happy camper. It's just the perfect way to finish off an evening, much like a bourbon is as well. But um, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll lean towards the uh, the
0: tawny port. Is the alcohol content higher in a a port than a wine?
3: So ports are all fortified wines, Pete. That means that they have to at least be 18% alcohol to be called a port. (laughs) why the tax is a little bit higher on them as well um so they are fortified with a neutral spirit okay it's usually brandy um and you know from france or from portugal itself and it's fortified with that which kind of stabilizes the wine rubies after being open will last you know about two weeks tawny's like i said six weeks no problem vintage ports when you get to those really high end single vintage wines that are 100 points and $500 a bottle they are actually kind of like a red wine you got about two or three days once you crack one of those bad boys open so make sure you have the right group of people and you want to really enjoy one of those you're throwing Um, down 500 bucks and downing that bottle (laughs) yeah, yeah there you go But but be confident in going out and grabbing a 10-year, a 20-year, a 30-year, a 40-year tawny and being stoked with it, especially over the holidays, guys. They're right around the corner. Um, I highly, highly, highly recommend just having one. And and you'll you'll stoke your friends out. You know, whichever one of your friends is up the latest with you,
0: you get to pick the port with me. That's that's (laughs) the game I have. I also noticed they have the presence of mind to sell it in a smaller than 750 bottle. That's very smart. Yeah, 500 ml, Pete. Sometimes those
3: are better for all of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> so
4: that,
2: that reminds me of a Christmas Eve I spent one time with my good friend, Pete Liska. We were, you spent a lot uh, of all night and... until six o'clock the next morning, Christmas morning, as we watched Dick Sage on TV all night. Dick Sage, he is the golden god of. <laughs> Golf television, the director <laughs> that made all the greatest golf uh, documentaries back in 1967. And we watched them all, goddammit. Wow. And this it.
3: would have been perfect
2: <laughs> to go tawny, with
3: it. Tawny port and pancakes, baby. Can't go wrong. <gasps> oh my hey, my God, Brian? yes. <laughs> tawny
5: port pancakes. Hey,
0: oh, God.
2: That sounds, that sounds
4: delicious.
1: Wow. Brian, what is, what is the life cycle when you crack open a bottle of red wine? Uh, not port but the other you are drinking tonight how what's the? once you open them what what's the expectation
3: still red wines uh if you open them up george you have a couple glasses and you want to save it i always put the cork back in the bottle and put it in your refrigerator okay the uh-huh. main thing that's going to hurt your wine is having inconsistent temperature it's not necessarily hot or cold but it's going to fluctuate mm-hmm. just keep it consistent in the door of your fridge Pull it out an hour before you want to have it. It'll be perfect. I would say you've got about four to five days. Past that, you're looking at cooking with the rest of it. Okay. Um, so that's the way that I feel about... Uh, there, there's different scales and stuff. but And and don't bother with getting the stupid suction thing or putting gas in it or whatever. That's all bullshit, in my opinion.
4: Okay. Well, it is,
3: because if I open a bottle of wine, it's going to be gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's typically the way it goes at my house too, Roger, unless I have samples that I have to take out for like three or four days in a row. There you go. Right on. I
2: open it if you're not gonna finish the damn thing. I
3: get a bottle of
2: Jack Daniels, I get a bottle. But even at my house where I live at the brewery, those tend to go in the same day they're open too.
3: (laughs) So a bottle of wine is
2: never going to have a chance. That's all I gotta (laughs) say.
3: Well, that's pretty much it, guys. Uh, a nice little dance through um, Pinot Noir and uh, and Cabernet, a little bit of port to finish things up, and um, the only thing that I got to say at the end is, um, when's the champagne uh, sesh. We'll we'll get that in before the holidays. Oh shit! It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> oh shit,
5: Brian, you are so amazing. Thank you oh. so much. This was so this was amazing. Glad you yeah. had a
3: good time, Heather. Right on. Yeah, dude. Honestly, it's man,
0: pleasure. really, uh, you know, fantastic, man. Not only not yeah. only the wine selections, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, the knowledge and everything Great you share you. with us, I appreciate it very much, mm-hmm. dude. Really, really. Like cool. I said, it's my
3: pleasure. You guys are giving me a, an outlet to to talk for a little while, and you know, I like to hear myself talk a little bit. So, you know, thank <laughs> you. I appreciate it.
4: We're gonna hang out one day.
2: You're gonna get me drunk online, and I'm going to teach you about
0: movies. Well, Roger! Roger, Roger, are you time? one? One thing you guys both have in common is a is a love for Husker Du. Husker
3: Du, Uh... baby. Dino Junior. Husker Du, all the time. Uh... Oh yeah.
4: Hey,
2: I can share
4: this. I can share this. It won't be spoiled because this is going to come after the, the promo, right?
2: I mean, Zen Arcade is
3: on my top three greatest records ever created. Fantastic! I, I've been texting these guys Husker Du songs for at least six months now on the Racket River thread. Yeah. That's right. That's yes.
5: That's right. Hey, Ro- awesome.
3: Roger. Sorry, uh, aren't you going to be in
2: Hawaii in the not too distant future? I the, Hawaii just cracked down, mm-hmm. and uh, I picked up a. No, I'm going to be in the the worst <laughs> place in America. I am actually going to go shoot a movie in fucking Florida, in Ooh. Sarasota. Oh no, Br- Bradenton. God bless,
3: buddy. Huh? What did you say? God bless on that one, man. Jeez. Yeah, thanks. I mean, <laughs> I
2: appreciate it. It's a good film, though. So I'm, I'm excited about the... Uh, Look, you're not going to
1: Hawaii
3: anymore. Is that... You're not going to Hawaii? No.
1: Not
5: God, going to shit. Hawaii. What island well, do you live
3: on? Uh, right now, I live on Maui. I was uh, originally on Maui when I was 20. Lived here for 10 years. And then two years on the Big Island. Eight years on Oahu. And now Jessica and I moved back here to Maui for the past three going on four years now
2: yeah yeah i was i was supposed to go to kona so
3: oh yeah big island is awesome yeah
2: Yeah, supposed to go to kona
3: and then you
2: know i just want to say thank you brother i mean i I was excited very goddamn Mm -hmm. excited to have met you yeah i I can see that we hung out It'd be dangerous. Yes, <laughs>
5: no, well, and Roger would have to. We'd host at our house. Roger would bring you over. We'd go into the, our wine fridge. You would recommend yeah. some bottles. I'd pick them up. I'd love to just listen
4: I to you. I um, to you got a cradle. Right. All I yes. I yeah. I you got
2: double uh,
3: cradles a cold so
2: you
3: know we well, can always know, bring I'm, some uh, some some fun stuff to California. I uh, keep saying that
1: Brian should have his own show, and uh, I'm pushing oh, for okay. that. So. You when should. Friend. Friend.
2: Yes. 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 It's one thing to be as, what, a level two sommelier, and jump, you know but went. it's also something else to be able to speak. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, and have a real good speaking, you know, yeah. and evoke
1: uh, you know, you got a lot of enthusiasm and it's educational, it's fun, but it's uh, you you feel like uh, you're you're in that class in college, Nate, that you actually wanted to go to.
0: know well thanks so much and you know what else it is though is that you know i think the joy that we all find as we do episodes and when and when things happen where someone talks about passionately about what they care about what they know about is really, really when we really find a lot of joy in doing all of this. So mm-hmm. you've brought that again, once again, yeah. to us. So th- thank you very much. To thank, really thanks a lot,
3: to guys. You. And, and you know, I got to say as well, I've been listening to every episode that you guys have been putting out. And it's just fun as hell. You know, <laughs> I'm so proud of you guys for for busting it all out and, and working really hard. I know this isn't easy to put together. I mean, tonight was a little easier to, to have a little, you know, drinking to go along with it. But I I uh, I look forward to the releases of the buzzards uh, on on a regular basis. So thank you. Yeah, okay. I got a release. I want I want to close out.
0: Oh shit! Oh Jesus <laughs> Christ! No, no, no. Oh my goodness! Yes. Oh my goodness! No. Hey guys, Roger's gonna take us to the or take us to the show. I,
2: like, we're so drunk we didn't know what fucking part of the show we're on. <laughs> George, you got any last remarks?
1: Uh, My only last remarks are thank you, Brian. Uh, Spill some out for Charlie Watts tonight. Listen to some Rolling Stones. And uh, we are going to do that champagne episode, so I'm really psyched. So, love you, Clancy. Love you, Nate, and everybody. Thanks. Uh, I'm glad uh, we got to do it again, man.
2: Thank you. Nate, say one thing.
4: One thing. Uh, Clancy, man. Good to see you, buddy. Really good to see you, man. My brother. (laughs) (laughs) So,
0: Oh my God. Heather's already put a chime in. Pete, you said your thing. Uh, much love and respect to all you guys. Nate, thanks for jumping in. That was fucking awesome, dude. Uh, rest in peace, Charlie Watts. Mm-hmm. Right, Charlie, so my darling.
2: Rip Charlie fucking Watts. Thank you for listening to this edition of $5 Buzz. If you have any ideas, questions, comments, or potential guests, please email us at buzz. It's F-I-V-E-D-O-L-L-A-R-B-U-Z-Z at gmail.com and we might get back to you when we feel like it because we're too busy drinking some fucking fabulous goddamn wine. On the flip side, also hit that like button on your goddamn YouTube motherfucker because you know you want to hear more of this shit. Love you. Peace. Out. Good night.